Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Point Church, and I'm glad to see all of you here today. I have the privilege today of starting a new series. We've been in a series called Turning Point for the last couple of months, but today we're going to start something new. We're going to start a new series called Skill for Life, and we're going to be exploring wisdom, God's wisdom. We're going to spend some time defining what it is and what it isn't, and we're going to dig deep to to actually understand it and then apply it to our lives. That's what we're going to be doing over the summer. And... When I was uh, in high school, many, many years ago, there were two old men who had a prominent influence on me. One of them I'll call Bob, and the other one was my grandfather. Two very different men. My grandfather's name was Bill, so, so Bob and Bill. Bob was an old Italian guy. He was, they were both in their 70s, and Bob was... Extremely charming, a very smooth talker. He could sell anything to anyone. He was that kind of guy. He made a lot of money. He drove nice cars. He wore suits all the time. He seemed to know everything about women, and I, I seemed to know nothing about women, so that's what I really was interested in at the time, is finding as much about women as I could from him. And he shared all of his vast wisdom with me on that subject. He traveled all over the world. He wrote a book. He, was, I, I, he had a positive attitude. He was always happy. Not, nothing ever seemed to get him down. He, he was influential. And I found myself wanting to be like Bob. Now, my grandfather was a different kind of guy. Again, they were about the same age. My, my grandfather was, was kind of grumpy. He, he just kind of told it like it is. He seemed to know nothing about women. He was the last person I would talk to if I wanted to know something about how to ask a girl out or how to, you know, how to treat a woman or something like that, even though my grandfather was, was a faithful husband. Um, he didn't make a lot of money. He, he always drove beaters. Um, my, my grandfather just didn't have the, the charisma and the flash that Bob did. And yet uh, there was one thing that my grandfather did very well. He did God's will. My grandfather was extremely concerned about doing God's will, and that's what he did. That's what he devoted his life to doing. And it it just so happened that these two great men who influenced me throughout my high school years met one time at my high school graduation party. And I thought that when they met, the earth might shake or something. You know, these two giant men who were so influential in my life, but that didn't happen at all. But they met, and they both gave me gifts for my uh, graduation party, Bob gave me money, which I was really thankful for. And he, he wrote me this two-page poem. And basically, to sum up the poem, he basically said, go after what you want in life, follow your dreams. And that was pretty inspiring. I still have it. My grandfather didn't give me money. He gave me my first Bible commentary. It was a two-volume Bible commentary that I still have. And I wasn't very excited about getting it at the time. It sat on my shelf for many years after that and collected dust, and I use it now frequently. But he wrote in the Bible commentary, he wrote in both of them, and basically what he said is, fear God. Master God's word. That's what life is about. So here's these two very different men telling me two very different things. And when I was a senior in high school, it seemed like a good idea to take Bob's advice instead of my grandfather's advice, so, that, so that's what I did. I decided to take Bob's advice and... Follow that for a few years, and well, it didn't work out very well. 
Anyway, the point is that, that um, both, both Bob and my grandfather died a few years later. And the truth is that one of them died a wise man. And the other one died a fool. And if you remember last week, as we concluded uh, the Turning Point series, what we said was we, we looked at Jesus' last sermon that he ever gave. His, not that he ever gave. His last sermon, um, I'm, I'm sorry, it was his most famous sermon is what I meant to say. The Sermon on the Mount, it was actually he gave that earlier on in his ministry. And it's famous because it's really Jesus' manifesto on what it means to to be his follower and to do what God wants you to do in your life. And so Jesus paints this, this glorious portrait of what it looks like to be like God in the world. And he concludes the whole Sermon on the Mount by talking about two kinds of people. And he basically says that in the end, there are two kinds of people. One of them he knows, the other one he doesn't. One of them gets to be with God forever. The other one is banished from God forever. One of them is wise, and the other one is a fool. Those are the adjectives that he uses to describe them. One of them is like a wise man, and the other one is like a fool. And so we are going to spend the next uh, 15 weeks or so, which sounds like a long time, but it won't be. We're going to look at what wisdom really is. What was Jesus really talking about when he said that? What does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to live a wise life. That's what we're going to be talking about. And the reason that we're calling this series Skill for Life is because that's the simplest way that I know how to describe wisdom. That's really what it boils down to. Wisdom is skill for life. It means to live life well. And to, to live life well, it's, it's not always easy. It's not usually easy. It's, it's usually not obvious or logical. It's, it's, and it's usually not simple. It usually can be pretty complex. Figuring out what to do sometimes and how to make good decisions. It's not like taking a set of rules and just applying it to your life. That's not what wisdom's like at all. It's just not that easy. You can't just look at a book like the book of Proverbs, which is where we're going to be spending most of our time, and take all of those sayings and just start applying them to your life. They don't really work that way. Wisdom comes into play where the rules don't apply. Wisdom fills the, fills the spaces that doctrine doesn't fill. Because there are, think about it, most of the decisions that we make in life day to day have very little to do with right and wrong. They have much more to do with wisdom. It has much more to do with what's best in my unique situation. That's where wisdom comes in, and, that, and that's why we need it so much, is because the Bible isn't really a set of rules. You, people who try to reduce the Bible to a set of rules and commands and doctrines always fall short in their understanding, because there are so many places and situations in life that just don't fit, right? And that's where wisdom comes in. So here are some examples of the kinds of questions that wisdom can help answer, just to give you a feel for, for when wisdom is necessary. So for example, what is this person like to live with? Wisdom will help you answer that question. How should I manage my time and money? Do I talk too much? This person seems happy all the time, but what are they like in the morning? Do I stop by my friend's house too much? 
This person is successful, but what are they like to work for? This person's very smart, but what kind of employee are they? We read all the books, and we, we read all the books, and we had a game plan for everything, but when we brought our baby home last night, she cried for six hours straight. What should we do tonight? What do we do tonight? There's not necessarily a right or wrong answer there, is there? My six-year-old will not worship with us. They're restless during the whole service, and they complain a lot. What should I do? Our friends are such godly people, and they only had one child. Why did that child have to die? Wisdom can help answer that question. Our sex life is not what it used to be. It seems like work. What can we do to make it come alive again? Wisdom comes in there. I have two or three good job offers. Which one should I take? A lot of things have been changing at my church and it's making me uncomfortable. Should I stay here? My boss is good at what he does, but I can't stand working for him. He never encourages me. He's always on my case. Should I say something? And if so, what should I say? Our pastor seems overly concerned about how he looks. He spends hours every week at tanning salons. And I'm concerned. What should I do? Now, before you start thinking about Pastor Scott, his tan is totally natural, okay? That was just an example. Not to be read into. No one at church seems to like me. Am I doing something wrong? I'm totally attracted to this girl, and I know I love her, but should I marry her? My husband is a pastor, and our kids tend to be unruly when we have people from our church over to our home. This makes us look bad. Should we stop having people over? That's just a friend I know. He's having trouble with that. There are countless times and situations where what we don't need is a set of rules. What we need is wisdom. For example, 16 years ago, I decided that I was going to ask out Vicki Spielman, who is now my wife. And I wasn't quite sure how to do it. I didn't know her very well. And this thought came to me. And I don't know where this thought came from. This wasn't a typical thought. Is Maybe should I ask her dad first if I should ask her out on a date? I had never done that before. It, it was not characteristic of me to think that way. It wasn't characteristic of me to ask permission to do anything. And yet, for whatever reason, as I thought about how was I going to ask Vicky out, and when, and where, and I kind of agonized over it, I realized that the first step that I should take, because of who I knew her dad to be, was to talk to him first, and to ask him for his permission. Now, that wasn't something that I was supposed to do. There's no, there's no rule or obligation in our society today, and there wasn't back then either, that you should do that kind of thing. Uh, there, there would have been nothing wrong with me just asking her out. There wouldn't have been a, that wouldn't have been a sin. There wouldn't have been anything wrong with that. There was no moral dynamic involved at all. There, I, I didn't even want to do it. I didn't want to talk to him about it first. I really didn't want to. It's not something I wanted to do or felt obligated to do, but I felt like it would be good for me to do that. Like that was the right move. So I planned the whole thing out. I thought about... How am I going to get him alone? Where am I going to, where, what would the best environment be, be for me to win his approval? How is this all going to take place? And I, I planned this whole thing out. So I asked him to play basketball with me one night, which I knew he liked to do even in his old age. He was in his late 40s at the time, you know. He still liked to play basketball. And so we played basketball, and then um, afterwards I asked him if we could talk. He's like, sure. So we got in his van and sat, sat in his van and... 
I, I started telling him how much I respected and admired Vicky. And I didn't have the guts to tell him that the real reason I wanted to ask her out was because she, she was so hot. One of my friends actually did that when his father-in-law asked him, his future father-in-law said, hey, what is it that you, that you like about my daughter so much? His answer was, well, she's smoking hot. And I, I love his courage. I don't know if that was wise for him to do that, but it worked. And uh, I have always appreciated that. I didn't tell that to Don, by the way. I just I started telling him how much I admired Vicky, and Don didn't even let me get to the question. He says to me, he interrupts me, and he says, well, why don't you just ask her out? And I said, hey, that's a great idea. I mean, it went perfectly. I, I made it seem like it was Don's idea to ask his daughter out. It couldn't have gone any better. I couldn't believe it even happened that way. And, um, and I asked her out, and the rest is history. That's, that's wisdom, that's what that is. Uh, again, that's really not very characteristic of me. And over the rest of the series, I'll share plenty of stories with you about when I didn't choose wisdom so that you get the whole picture. But that was one of the wisest things I ever did. And I'm not saying that every young man here should ask the dad of the girl you want to date for permission. It's not the right move in some cases. It's just not. It all depends on the situation. It depends on the people and the relationships And that's where wisdom comes into play. And so today we're going to look at the first few verses of this great Old Testament book called Proverbs. And this was the book, this was the one book that my grandpa encouraged me to read more than any other book of the Bible, is the book of Proverbs. In fact, he created this annual reading plan that he gave to me and um, all of my cousins and his uh, sons and daughters. And in that plan, we always read Proverbs twice, the whole book during the year. We read Proverbs twice. And that was because he valued it so much. And reading from Proverbs is a bit like drinking from a fire hydrant, really. And so we're going to take off small chunks, and we're going to just cover one subject at a time. And my hope is that when we're done with this series, or before, that we will have at least two things in common. And here's the two things I, I hope we have in common. Number one is I hope that we all see how desperately we need wisdom and how valuable it is. Because I think we all underestimate it, just how valuable it is. And number two, my hope is that we all see just how awesome God is. Because without those two things, without those two attitudes, you and I will go over the whole summer and we won't be any wiser. We just won't be, unless we start there. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to read the first six verses. In Proverbs chapter 1, and here is what we read. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, Knowledge and discretion to the youth. So here we have Solomon telling us what the goal of this entire book is. Solomon wrote most of the book, not all of the book. And he's telling us, here's the goal. Here's the point. It's to get wisdom. That's the goal. And then he gives us a bunch of synonyms, a bunch of very rich, packed words to describe wisdom. We have insight, instruction. It can be translated discipline. Wise dealing, 
righteousness, justice, equity, and prudence. And then he tells us who he's talking to. He's talking to the simple. The simple are basically people who are naive and who lack wisdom, but they're teachable. Things are a little too black and white for them. They don't understand the complexities of life, so they need wisdom. Those are simple people, and he continually pleads with them through the whole book to don't stay simple. Okay? The second group of people he's talking to are young people. He says the young people need wisdom because they lack experience. They lack patience. Because they don't, they haven't been around long enough to understand the complexities of life. So there are some things that the simple and the young people have in common. And he goes on in verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. So now he throws in wise people, people who are older and have been around and who do understand the facts of life. They also need to increase in learning. They also desperately need wisdom. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and let the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So we're going to stop there and let's just take a couple minutes to define what wisdom is. Wisdom, in its simplest terms, is living life with skill. But it's more than that. And there's a, a lot of great theologians and, and pastors and a lot of people have done a great job of defining wisdom. One of my favorite definitions comes from an Old Testament scholar named Tremper Longman. And this is what he says about what wisdom is. Wisdom is the skill of living. It is a practical knowledge that helps one know how to act and how to speak in different situations. Wisdom entails the ability to avoid problems and the skill to handle them when they present themselves. Wisdom also includes the ability to interpret other people's speech and writing in order to react correctly to what they are saying to us. Wisdom is a skill, a knowing how. It is not raw intellect in knowing that. So there's a difference between being smart and being wise, in other words. There's a difference. And I can't really improve on that definition, but I'm going to... My, this is basically my own definition of wisdom, which is just very simple. Wisdom is the ability to make good decisions based on what you know about life and reality. That's what it comes down to. So knowledge is knowing and understanding the facts of life. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the facts of life. It's applying your knowledge in a way that creates a desired result. And skill, which is basically wisdom, is doing what God wants you to do with the facts of life. That's what we want. That's what we're after. We want to do what God wants us to do with our knowledge of life, which comes from him. He created life. He created this world. Things happen the way they do because, because of who God is. So that's basically what wisdom is. Now, how important is wisdom? How important is it? The author of the book of Proverbs, Solomon, when he was a young man, when he was about 20 years old, he was anointed as Israel's third king. And Israel's second king was King David, who left this tremendous legacy. David was a man after God's own heart. He had tremendous courage. He was a, a, a man of faith, and he was a man of wisdom. And Solomon 
was, was very young. He didn't have the experience yet. His father had just died. He didn't know how he could possibly fill his father's shoes. Solomon, though, already had wisdom beyond his youth. He loved God. He obeyed God. And probably Solomon's greatest attribute was his humility as a young man. You know how young people typically, I'm not saying this is true of all young people, but a lot of times young people think they know everything they need to know. They, they think they know it all. I was like that when I was a young man, especially when I was in college. But Solomon wasn't like that. And so in 1 Kings chapter 3, we read this narrative about um, when Solomon had just been anointed king. God visited him in a dream. And we're told that God said to Solomon, ask what I shall give you. Just ask me for anything that you want. What is it that you want? I'll give it to you. Now imagine if God appeared to you in a dream and asked you that question. What, what would you ask for? Wealth, maybe? Security? Power? Fame? A long, healthy life? That your kids would make good decisions? Maybe that God would take someone out of your way? What is it that you would ask for? What, was, what would be the one thing? Well, Solomon asked God for one thing. He asked God for wisdom. That God would give him a mind of understanding and discernment to lead this great people of his. And what did God say? Was God like, what wisdom? Are you sure? You sure that's what you want? That's kind of a waste. That's not what God said. We're told that God was pleased. God was thrilled that Solomon had asked for wisdom. He could have had any, he could have asked for anything and he chose to ask wisdom. And God basically said to Solomon, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you honor and wealth and prosperity and all of these other things you didn't ask for. In other words, Solomon, you made the right choice. You asked me for the right thing. Wisdom was the one thing he needed more than anything else. And when he asked for it, God gave him generously. And God still gives generously that way. He still gives us, gives us wisdom that way. So why is wisdom so important? And, and here's why. Because you can, have, you can be a good person. You can be a very good person. But if you don't have wisdom, it doesn't even matter. You can have faith. But if you don't have wisdom... You're going you're gonna to claim the right promises at the wrong time. And you're going to hurt people. You can have love and not wisdom. And you will give people affection when they don't want it. You can actually hurt people with your love and your good, good intentions. If you have hope and not wisdom, you will offend people with your hope. You will turn them away from you. If you have... If you have courage and not wisdom, you will come across as brash and even arrogant to people. You will rub people the wrong way with your courage. If you have holiness and not wisdom, people will despise you for your holiness. If you have truth and not wisdom, and you give people truth without wisdom, you might very well make the gospel ugly to them. If you have passion and not wisdom, your passion to serve people will lead them to say, no thank you, I don't want any part of that, and you'll never see them again. 
if you have a great, a stellar education and you have multiple degrees from the finest institutions, but you don't have wisdom, then your education will be of little use to you and you will make a mess of your life. It just won't matter. And if you have a great plan or strategy, but you lack wisdom, then when something unexpected happens and forces you to change the plan and and you start making decisions to adjust, it's all going to fall apart. And the plan won't matter anymore. The strategy will be of no use to you. Wisdom is necessary in every arena of life. We, we all need it, no matter what phase of life you're in. We all need it. So the, the real question today, and this is the question we're going to land on here, is how do we get it? How is it that we can grow in wisdom? How do we get wisdom? And Solomon gives us the answer at the end of his prologue. This is really the climax to the first chapter and the rest of the book. The book of Proverbs pretty much starts and ends with this idea. And what he's telling us when he says this is that everything that I am going to say and these other wise men are going to say starts and ends with this. In verse 7, this is what he says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what Solomon is saying here, he's making a very important point. He is saying that you will never attain wisdom until you first fear God. And what we know about fearing God is that fear, the proper fear of God, always is always experienced in a relationship with God. In other words, fearing God and knowing God always go together. And if you take the relationship out of the equation, then what you're left with, really, is a terror of God. Like, what's he going to do to me kind of fear? And that's not the kind of fear that Solomon's talking about. And so in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, we get another statement about what it means to fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So there Solomon very intentionally puts fear and knowledge together. He's talking about an intimate knowledge of God in a relationship. That's where fear of God is cultivated. That's where it begins, the proper fear of God. In uh, chapter 2, if we go back to chapter 2, this is what we learn about fear. He starts out by saying, My son... Proverbs 2 verse 1, he says, my son. In other words, here is a father talking to his son because he loves him. They're in a relationship. They know each other. The father loves the son. He wants the son to live life well. He wants the son to make good decisions in life. And the son wants to learn from his father because he believes his father loves him and wants what's best for him. That's the kind of relationship that he's speaking into here. So he says, my son... If you receive my words and treasure up my commands within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. See, it's a relationship. 
where we find the, the fear of God and the knowledge of God. And then he goes on to tell us what the source of wisdom is in verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. If you want to hear from God and grow in wisdom, it has to be in a relationship. You have to hear from God's mouth. You have to be in his presence. You have to be in proximity to him so that you can hear him, what he's saying. It's all about a relationship. And here, maybe this is a, a, will help you understand the, the kind of fear that we need. Um, there's really two kinds of fear that you can have in the presence of other people, right? There's the kind of fear that makes you terrified of them or afraid that they're going to hurt you. There are people who, who have done all of us harm in life. And maybe you found yourself in a situation where you were afraid that someone was going to injure you or hurt you physically. When I was, uh, again, a young man, I was at a gas station filling up my car and this car full of guys pulled up next to me and it was just me. I had a friend in the car. He was in the car. He locked the doors. I was smart. And these guys get out and I'm standing at the pump and there were five of them. And the, the one who came up to me was like a big guy. He's like 6'5". 200 and something. And they got right in my face and they threatened me. And they, they threatened to hurt me. And what I wanted to do was threaten them back is what I wanted to do. But wisdom, wisdom told me not to. So I didn't talk back. I said, I don't want any trouble. And the, the guy punched me in the face. And I stood there and took it and then they left. That was wise. Of me, because it could have been a lot worse. It was wise of me not to hit him back, even though it's what I wanted to do. Okay? That's the kind of fear. I was afraid. I was afraid in that moment of what was going to happen to me. I was no match for this group of guys. I would have been no match for the one guy. (laughs) Okay? That's one kind of fear. But there's another kind of fear that we experience when we're in the presence of someone. And it's the kind of fear that comes from seeing how awesome that person is. And when you see someone and you realize you're in the presence of greatness, it makes you tremble. This is, I I was really hesitant to use this analogy, but this is probably something like what, what young girls feel like in the presence of Justin Bieber. But it's much more pure than that, okay? When, when, if, do you know what I'm talking about? They get in, they're in the presence of someone who they admire and they worship and they just, and they just see how awesome they are and all they do is think about that person and how great they are and they just want to be around them. But then when they're finally in their physical presence, some of them faint or they weep. They're overwhelmed because they can't take it. They can't take the greatness. Okay? That's, maybe I should use a different analogy. So, there's a pastor, who's a, he's an old man now, his name's Stuart Briscoe, he's a, he used to be a local pastor, now he travels all over the world, he's getting up there in years, and this is a pastor who I really looked up to as a young, aspiring pastor in training and preacher and all of that. I listened to his sermons, I, you know, I read his books, I have his commentaries on my shelf at the office, this is a guy who... I just was mesmerized by, I loved, I loved who he was, his ministry, how he communicated the word of God, and I wanted to be like him, you know? And I've never met him, 
I've never met Stuart Briscoe, but he's doing our men's retreat later this year in the fall on September 5th and 6th, men. He's doing our men's retreat in Lake Geneva, and I will meet him for the first time. And I may be just starstruck when I finally meet him, or I might, might not be, I don't know. But this is, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm finally in the presence of Stuart Briscoe, I'm going to be like, whoa. I'm, I, you know, I finally get to meet this man who's had such a tremendous influence on my life and my ministry. And I just want to, you know, that's the kind of fear that we're talking about. That's the kind of fear. I think about a professional athlete that you might follow. A professional athlete who you, who you might even worship. You know, you follow them on Twitter, you watch all the games, you celebrate their accomplishments and achievements, you wear the jerseys, you do all of it. And if you were finally ever in their presence to meet them, it would be overwhelming, wouldn't it? That's the kind of fear we need to have towards God. The kind of fear that makes us just want to kneel in his presence and drop to our knees and worship him. It's a joyful fear, really. It's a joyful fear. It's not a fear that makes us run away from him. It's the kind of fear that makes us want to draw near to him and just be around him and soak him in. In a relationship. That's what it means to fear God. It means to be overwhelmed with his greatness. And do you know where we... You know what the pinnacle of God's greatness is? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you know why? Because when, when you consider the cross of Jesus Christ, when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, when you think about who Jesus was and him hanging there on a cross, you know what we're thinking about? We are thinking about the wisdom of God as a man dying for fools like us. Jesus Christ, the wisest man who ever lived, hanging on a cross, humiliated. He, this is God who is infinitely superior to all of us, humbling himself, lowering himself, letting himself be shamed publicly and slowly executed as a criminal for us so that we could be wise Listen, there is nobody who's born wise. We are all born fools. And that's why Jesus died. Because our only hope for, a, for wisdom and for salvation is through a substitute. It's through God himself dying for us, for our foolishness, for our sin, taking our judgment. Jesus on the cross took God's wrath on himself. In our place. So that one day when we stand before Jesus, he will compare us to a wise man who built his life on a solid foundation. It's Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what wisdom is. So when you think about the cross, there are are so many people today who are angry at God or indifferent to God or they're afraid of God and they're running away from God, but when you think about the cross of Jesus, does it make you want to run after God with everything you have? Because if it doesn't, then you're a fool. That's the point. That's what Solomon's really saying. So this week, I'm going to ask you to do something. Just one thing this week. For everything you've heard this morning about, about really fearing God, fearing God is the key to living a great life. That's, that's the idea today.
And if you believe that you lack wisdom, then my challenge to you today would just be to pray this week and ask God for wisdom. Would you ask God for wisdom this week? Would you, would you take some time this week to go before God in your quiet place, whatever that is, when you're driving, whenever it is you're praying throughout the week, and just ask God for it? Because that's the starting point. Ask God to give you this wisdom. Ask God to give you this fear so that you can grow. So that you can grow in wisdom, so that you can live life well. We've got to ask God for it because he is the source of all wisdom. And according to James, Jesus' brother, in James chapter 1, the promise still stands. Verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. He will give it to us. So just ask him. Let's close in prayer. Our Father God, I thank you for your greatness. We thank you God for the cross of Jesus Christ which makes us righteous in your sight. It makes us, Jesus makes us wise. We thank you God for your generosity towards us. We thank you that when we ask in faith, For anything, you give it to us, Lord. You give for our good and for your glory. Help us to to treat you like a father, God, because you've treated us like sons and daughters. You've given us so many good things, much more than we deserve. Teach us to relate to you like like our true dad. Not to cower in fear, but to go to you, to run to you with hope and expectation and for your glory in this world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.